Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. It is Front Row Knowles. It's back to a game week. Keith, how are you? I'm doing well, Tommy. Yourself? I am doing all right. I have no complaints. Nobody listens anyway, so I've just learned to stop filing those complaints. Or maybe you could tell me who to who to file the complaint with, and I'd be in better shape. i tell you what. You send it to me. I'll take care of it. How about that? Yeah, I feel like that's where I've been uh, for the last <laughs> years, and I've gotten nowhere. So, uh, But I do appreciate the support. All right, so here we are. You had a week to digest, and we've, we've got a great show. It's not going to be all football today. We're going to talk some basketball coming up, but then Patrick Burnham from the Osceola will join us. Uh, he'll dive deep, sort of a, a midseason state of affairs for FSU. But for you, Keith, a, a week later after the Louisville game, do you feel any better as you reflected back and the emotion was gone? Uh, obviously, the emotion uh, being gone does put you back in center. Uh, I think uh, in listening to Coach Norvell and – Coach Dillingham, when they talked earlier this week about, you know, focus on us and the time that they spent in the off week, um, back to fundamentals. But one thing has jumped out at me, and maybe we're getting a little better at it. You know, we keep talking about that the optics are what is important and that Florida State needs to get back on track after what happened in Louisville. But you can also, and Pat will talk more about this when we visit with him, but uh, you're now getting to the point where you can talk about some of the things that Florida State has done well for example, the running game. And then you start looking at Pittsburgh, and they've got the number one rush defense in the country right now. So there's a part of you saying, in addition to the optics about how the game looks, when we tune in at 4 o'clock on Saturday, we need to watch that Florida State running game against that Pitt defense. And, and we're starting to get some things we can talk about. I thought Dillingham's comments this week about – the bye week and how, and I think we sort of take this for granted. You always assume a bye week lets you get physically healthy, mentally healthy, reset. I don't really think we connected the dots enough on how important it was for Jordan Travis just from a learn how to execute, learn all the plays type. I mean, that seems naive because he's looked pretty comfortable, but he's missed so much practice and hasn't played that much football that that's, it was actually valuable time for that. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's always the, uh, tendency maybe you have to resist it 
to try to put in some new stuff during a bye week. But I think Florida State, uh, I think both uh, Norvell and Dillingham were very clear that they weren't using that time to expand the playbook. They were just going to take what they'd been doing and get better at it. Another thing that I processed, and maybe it's just me, our listeners can uh, have a different opinion, of course. But, you know, when you're not a terribly good drop-back passer, when you're not a terribly good passer from the pocket, and, and, and Travis hasn't shown us that, but you talk to his high school coaches, you talk to, uh, you know, his, his brother, you talk to others around him, and they say he can do that. Well, maybe, and maybe you're grasping on the straws, Mr. Jones, but maybe, just maybe, his um, footwork and how he operated in the pocket was also handicapped by the fact that he was playing hurt. So now that he's had a couple of weeks to get healthy, maybe that footwork will be better, the delivery will be more mechanically correct, and he can get the ball out of the pocket a little more accurately than we've seen him do it in the past. Maybe wishful dreaming and thinking on my part, but it makes for a good conversation. But I also think too much of the conversation has focused on Travis's deficiencies, i.e. he's not a drop-back passer. Well, every quarterback has deficiencies. And, and to your point, maybe I'm just restating what you said. He could improve in those areas. And, oh, by the way, there's a lot of other deficiencies on the FSU offense. And so maybe, I, I mean, I, maybe it's not the prettiest thing, but he hit a lot of guys in the hands two weeks ago against Louisville, and they got to make those catches. So that, That's a huge thing, no question. Yeah. Um, I thought Dillingham's comments, though, that they basically took their bread and butter, everything they're going to run, and they lined it up, and they looked at every different defensive look they could see so that Travis could process that more quickly when he's out on the field. Because, yes, teams always adjust. It doesn't matter if you're a drop-back passer and, and it's a vertical passing game. Teams scheme to take that away. So there's always going to be different defenses. But to have the offensive coordinator basically and, – and we know this happens – but to come out and say, we ran play A and we looked at it, it looked X, Y, Z and double X, double Y, double Z or however many different looks there was going to be so that they could execute against it, uh, that's not insignificant. No, and with a younger quarterback, at least from an experience standpoint, you know, one of the things we talk about, you know, we judge them by how they throw the ball, how they run with the ball, you know, the points on the board. The, the inner workings of how they get everybody lined up and being able to recognize defenses and call out the strong side and be able to check plays and how much, how much flexibility does Travis have to actually check plays and how good is he at recognizing things and therefore checking plays. All those pre-snap uh, decisions that have to be made, uh, that's also a huge and a steep learning curve for a young quarterback. So 4 o'clock Saturday against Pitt. We will talk more football with Patrick Burnham from uh, the Osceola coming up in, in just a little bit. But we are going to turn our attention to basketball. Believe it or not, though we don't have a schedule, the season does start later this month. And maybe a guy who can fill in some blanks is going to join us momentarily. Uh, so FSU round ball talk is up next here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith.
Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom uh, Block, Keith Jones with you. And uh, Keith's long-lost cousin, uh, associate head basketball coach for Florida State, Stan Jones, joins us. That's a joke, folks. As far as we know, they're not related. But, Stan, how are you, sir? <laughs> I'm doing well. You know, just operating in 24-hour day cycles right now, not knowing what's coming the next day, just hoping it's going to be positive. You know, as, we, as this has dragged on uh, from the start, I was thinking – I sent you the Zoom info, and of course, there was no question back about how to function in Zoom or how this might work. That's where we were when this started in March, but you pretty much are probably on a Zoom more frequently than you, <laughs> the way your world works these days. Uh, you have no idea, Tom. I mean, it, the, the new stuff we've had to learn how to do to operate and, and doing it with recruiting and the number of kids we try to contact, and you know, you, know, you, you kind of go your separate ways back in uh, before Corona. And uh, I'd be somewhere, CY be somewhere, Coach Ham be somewhere. Now we all got to be sitting on everybody's Zoom call because they all want to see the whole staff and all that stuff. So it uh, it ties you a whole lot up with uh, your computer and you hope the battery don't go dead. The other thing that it does is it embarrasses you because invariably you'll be talking to a 16, 17, 18-year-old, whatever, and they've got 73 times better communication and technology skills than you do. And, and I find myself, I, I, well, I forgot to unmute, and whoever's on the other end is telling me how to unmute. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, I mean, as long as we're starting with the COVID part of this conversation, Stan, and I, I mean, our whole world revolves around it, it seems like. How has this altered, uh, you know, your off-season workouts and conditioning? And, and more than that, now that you're getting into season, I mean, basketball is a close-knit team. There's, what, 12 to 15 or 12 to 18 guys on the team. You're in close quarters. They room together. There's a lot of contact when you play physical basketball. How is it changing how you guys function day to day? Well, uh, as most everybody knows, you know, Coach Hamilton's one of the original germaphobes to begin with. And so uh, as all this came out, you know, he's, he, I think he's always had stock in, in hand sanitizer and Purell. And so that's just gone to, to new levels uh, with Coach because he's – I guess that's why he never gets sick because he's uh, very conscious about those things. So uh, he's been very, very adamant with our players about uh, everything they need to do in terms of social distancing. And you know, when we first were able to come back and start having the voluntary workouts and we were all small groups, we didn't bring the whole group in at any one time. Nobody was crossing each other's paths. Uh, you know, all the coaches coaching in uh, masks and, and uh, eye protection uh, and those kind of things. So it was, uh, it's truly been different. And that's probably my biggest concern other than I know every other team in the country is doing it is, you know, our guys have, did not get a normal summer. And uh, as Keith knows, being a former athlete that, you know, conditioning, you, you, you decondition much quicker than you condition and, you know, making those jumps physically that you need but from year to year, you know, the, the summer and the off season is very pertinent to that. And, and it's very important to that. And so, you know, I'm, I'm hoping our guys are we're, we're able to you know do this without, rushing anybody through and getting any kind of overuse injuries or anything and trying to get guys back up to speed and help them uh, magnify and uh, escalate their development, uh, even in the, in the tighter amount of time that we've had, uh, and, uh, and doing it as safe as we possibly can, which we've been very fortunate so far. Stan, is it a, a pipe dream or a wish, given the fact that basketball in some respects is a very individualized sport, at least in terms of the team sport, only five on the court at the same time, and maybe just maybe with kids doing their individual work, you won't get as far behind as maybe you fear. Well, you know, when those guys went home uh, on March the 13th after we had to tell them the NCAA tournament was canceled and, uh, you know, we didn't see those guys again until late July physically. 
And even where they were at home, most of the guys did not have access to gyms. They didn't uh, because everything was shut down and lockdowns in the various states and those kind of things. So uh, even the thing of just getting individual work in, it was, it was very difficult for our guys. You know, a lot of cities were even taking the rims down or, or putting locks over the top of the out, outdoor courts. So guys didn't get the normal, you know, just even getting in the gym and dribbling and shooting and running up and down the court uh, by themselves. Uh, so it's a, uh, it's been a challenge, but uh, our guys, you know, we've got a great culture in our locker room. Our guys started a group text and uh, I was in the group text with them. And every day they were sending out a, a conditioning challenge to each other. Uh, and they were passing it on who was going to do the next day of what they could do at their homes or out in their driveways or, and not without a basketball. And uh, so they, they, you know, they want to be good. They've tasted success. Uh, they know we got a chance to be pretty good this year. So they've been, They've been doing everything they can to try to get themselves mentally and physically ready as possible. Final uh, question on this topic, Stan, uh, because I, I was just thumbing through and, and getting a reminder, but I, I think it was Georgia Tech last week took some precautions in their practice, and uh, uh, they altered the way they practiced because somebody had been sick. So it was, uh, you know, I, I know you guys have thought that through, but a, a, a regular daily practice, is it business as usual? Because to play the way you want to play, you're going to have to conduct practice this way. Uh, and obviously if somebody's got symptoms or whatever, they're not participating or how is it changing, you know, how you're going to conduct a daily practice? Well, since we started three weeks ago with our, what we, we call kind of training camp to try to steal from the NBA. Since we've started our preparations for our first game coming up here right at Thanksgiving, uh, it's been kind of practices usual for the players. I mean, they wear masks to and from, uh, getting onto the court. When they get on the court, they can take them off. But all the coaches, all the student staff, training staff, all those people there, we're all masked up and, and protected the whole time. And um, uh, and we've been very fortunate. We've hadn't had any guys test negative, uh, uh, so we've been uh, or positive rather. So we've been we've been able to practice and haven't had knock on wood. I know Marquette just last week they got shut down for two weeks, and I think uh, Florida and Georgia Tech. In the last three or four weeks, both had to shut their programs down for a little bit basketball-wise. And, you know, we're just trying to be as smart as we can, talk to our guys to be as diligent as they can, and, and hopefully we can duck and dodge it and avoid it altogether. Stan, I know the kids are taking classes remotely, as, as all at Florida State is. When you look at the NBA model, they used the term of the bubble, and they were all together. Is this a, a mini-bubble or a semi-bubble or – what would you classify how your, your kids are taking their, their free time? Well, it's a coach hand bubble. I think that uh, the place where our guys live, you know, our, they live pretty much all on the same floor. There's nobody else on that floor in the complex they live in. So that helps a little bit, uh, you know, being able to get their, their training table meals at the uh, spotlight grill and, and, and other ways on campus has been able to uh, keep going anywhere to get food as a problem. Uh, and so we've, 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 you know, Coach Hamlin has tried to think out everything and our staff that we possibly can to, to keep our guys from wanting to get out and go places. And, and, and our guys, they want to play. I mean, our guys, you know, when, when they got called off the court in Greensboro last March the 12th, because uh, those guys, we really wanted to play that day against Clemson. Our guys, I could tell it when I talked to them before the game, I had the scout on that game. And I was up there going over the scouting report before we ran out to start warming up. And, they wanted to play, and then all of a sudden they go from great celebration against Boston College winning the regular season, getting ready for what they were kind of calling the revenge tour because we, we'd given up a game to Clemson, and then we would have had a chance to play Virginia and, and probably had a chance to play Duke. 
uh, teams that, that were part of our three of our five losses uh, during the regular season. So the guys had really got in, they, they were not satisfied and, and uh, overwhelmed with the success of the regular season. Uh, and then they got told they can't play in the NCAA tournament when they just got ranked in the top five in the country. Uh, possible chance of being a number one seed. Uh, you know, the guys really wanted to play. So this group of guys, and we got a lot of veterans back that have experienced that success. They want to play. So they've, they've been very, very uh, cognizant of, you know, that they don't want to have any contact tracing. They don't want anybody to get a positive test. They want to, they're, they're, they're protecting each other as much as the coaches are demanding of them to protect each other because they want to play and they want to have a season and they want to play as many games as they can. And, you know, guys like MJ Walker and, and Scotty Barnes and you know, some of the guys that are high-level players, I mean, they want to be able to have enough film out there so that, that and have the kind of year that can springboard them to their careers past college and that kind of stuff. So, you know, they're aware of those things. They're, they're not by any means being college kids just hanging, wanting to ha- go hang out on the – uh, on the strip or anything, they want they they want to play basketball this year and, and do whatever it takes to to give themselves a chance to get back to the NCAA tournament and feel that experience again. Stan, you just mentioned a lot of fuel and motivation for this year based on not being able to finish up last year. To the preseason prognostications, and I don't have the polls all in front of me, but you're well aware that you know you guys work all season, you end up in the top ten, top five, and then the polls reset. And I know you lost some guys. We'll get to that. And, and Florida State drops back down to sort of on the, you know, maybe just in the top 25 or just out of it, whereas more of the blue bloods, not the new bloods, doesn't matter. They change the personnel, and they're still in the top 10. So how much is that fuel, uh, additional fuel for you, the staff, the team? Well, obviously, it's, it's something that, uh, that spurs us to, to keep pushing it, you know. But, you know, we're, we're really we, – we get it as coaches. We're, we're a victim of the marketing schemes of basketball these days, you know. 20 years ago, the NBA really started marketing. It was about the individual and not the teams and the rivalries anymore. You know, you go look on Christmas Day when they have their Christmas Day deal. It's always LeBron versus James Harden. It's Steph Curry versus so-and-so. It's not the Lakers versus this team or that team. And, you know, that's now trickled down into college basketball. So as all these people start making preseason polls and stuff, they're looking at how – you know, you can just go two years ago when – I think Duke got beat in the second or third round of the tournament, and Zion Williamson had more clips on one shining moment than the teams that actually played in the championship game that year uh, for that one shining moment montage they do at the end of the year. So, you know, it is what it is, and, and they, they're not really the, – the, the media people, are, they're not honoring great teams. They want to honor great individuals. And our guys have, have bought in, and, and, they, and Coach Hamilton has created an environment where our guys are realizing they're becoming great individuals because we're playing as a great team. And uh, so our guys are real see- seeing this success of guys like Fiondu Cabagelli, Patrick Williams, who never started a game in their Florida State careers and their first first round draft picks where Pat's going to be here in a couple weeks. And uh, and they're living their dreams and getting great opportunities because they're playing the game the right way. And, it's, and they're, they're playing the game that's translating for the next level people to respect what they do and want what they do. So we're, we're looking at it from a realistic and we're just challenging ourselves. Let's get ready for the first game. And uh, then we just take one at a time and just start knocking people off as, as we get to each one of them. Before we talk ahead, one last look back. You had at least three kids, four kids that were instrumental in that 2019-2020 season, Devin and Pat and Trent. Uh, give us a quick update on those guys. I know you still talk to them at least a little bit, and as, uh, particularly as uh, Devin and Pat get ready for the draft. And Trent, too, well, yeah. Tell us, tell us where they're going to go in the draft. How high? Let, let, let's hear it. 
<laughs> well, I can give I can give you some speculative some speculative places, but I think the, the draft's going to get a lot of trades are going to move around. I, don't, I think I don't think a lot of the top three or four teams are excited about their draft status. A lot of people are going to want to trade back, so it could move around a little bit. But the fourth guy that we're going to miss off that team who who brought a great personality to our team is Dominic Olenichik, and he's actually the most stable when he knows where he is. He's actually playing in the Euro Cup uh, for a professional team in his home country of Poland, and actually is off to a really good start averaging about 12 points a game and about eight rebounds a game. And uh, feels really good about his career over in Europe, uh, doing really well. Uh, Trent uh, just finished getting to do the virtual combine that they did. He shot the ball exceptionally well. They, they did a virtual combine where they videoed it and they're sending it out to all the teams. His measurements were terrific. Uh, we've had just lots of traffic from our whole staff. People asking about him. I feel really good that somebody's going to be smart and take him in the, in the, somewhere in the second round and, uh, and recognize that uh, everywhere he's been, you know, he's a guy that flipped the ACC as a point guard that wasn't on a blue, quote-unquote blue blood team. The last guy that did that was a guy named Chris Paul who did it for Wake Forest back in the early 2000s. And, you know, NBA teams are seeing that. that you know, Trent went from, you know, being number two seed and runner-up in the uh, ACC as a freshman, Elite Eight as a sophomore, uh, and then going to the uh, – championship game in the ACC as a junior and going to the Sweet 16 and then winning the ACC that, you know, he's the, he's the variable that's in that equation the whole whole time around. And uh, and so I don't know what happened there with the video, but we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. But did we freeze? No, you're, you're, you're good. good. You're good. You're good. But uh, a lot of teams are really, really excited. I, there, there's several teams that have multiple uh, uh, second-round picks, and uh, they, they really, really are doing their homework on Trent. I feel good about his position. His agency feels really good about what they – the conversations they've had. Uh, so it's going to be an anxious November 18th for him, but uh, November's kind of been anxious for our whole country right now, so <laughs> we'll all get used to it. Devin and Pat, they are in, the, they are in great shape. They, they'll be in the lottery somewhere between 1 and 14. Uh, there are some teams that are really high on the board. Uh, that are, are are really really intrigued by what they can bring and the stability they have and the maturity they have. Uh, so I'm expecting both of their names to be called really early, um, and and, and uh, going to be great represent representatives of our program at the next level. Uh, I think Patrick has an unbelievable ceiling. Teams as they've got to really get into film instead of just looking at his. You know, people want to always just look at the end of the box score. Well. Patrick gave a whole lot more to our team than just the end of the box score and teams. And now that they've pinpointed uh, on their film evaluations of him and realized how many skills that Pat Williams really has that translates to the NBA. And uh, he's going to be a, a really high pick. And him and Devin should be right there. I don't know which one of them is going to go first, but they're going to be real close to each other somewhere. I'm, I'm saying inside the top 10. Wow. That's amazing. Congratulations uh, to them and to you guys for developing them. Stan, uh, part of the reason we wanted to have you on, I know you're right in the middle of, of putting together the, the basketball schedule, which normally would have been out for months. Uh, you're going to play games later on this month. I, I know there's some dates have leaked out that Indiana's coming for the ACC Big Ten and Florida will be here. What else can you share with us? What's it going to look like? When's it going to be out? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're waiting on the ACC. The ACC has not uh, given us our final schedule. They've The only thing they've given us is a shell of – Wednesday, Saturday games, and who would be a, who will be having a home game and who will be away, but you don't know your opponent. And those Wednesday games could move to Tuesday or Thursday, 
And even in January, you could be on a Monday night game for Big Monday, and then your Saturday game could move to a Sunday tip-off. So all we kind of know is when we'll be on the road and when we'll be at home. Uh, and uh, we don't know who we're playing, though. They didn't give us opponents for that. But I don't know how they tell you who your home and aways are without telling your opponents, but they figured that out. And we're waiting on the TV decisions to be made on um, what days those are going to be on and what time slots they're going to be in. Uh, but we will play an ACC conference game uh, on uh, December the 15th, and that will be at home at the Tucker Center. Um, that's, that's probably going to be announced before this week's out of who our opponent's going to be. Um, so it will be, obviously it'll be an ACC opponent and it will be an ACC opponent that, uh, not, not too far away from Tallahassee is about the best clue I can give you on that one. And, <laughs> but we'll have five non-conference games again, like the Florida game been kind of out there. Indiana's obviously another game. Uh, and then we'll have a couple other games with in-state teams and then one, uh, one, one game to tip the season off of a contract we initially had that was scheduled, um, uh, that didn't get moved around because of, of COVID-19. So we'll only get five non-conference games with no COVID situations where something gets canceled or postponed. And then our 20, 20 league games in, in conference play. So it's a 25 game schedule. And uh, we, we, we just got to pray that we all can stay healthy and the therapeutics and the vaccines and all the treatments for COVID will start letting this thing start to diminish itself. And, and we can be able to get this thing done and our guys can have a, a full and great season. Dan, our folks are familiar with the returners. Give us a little insight into the newbies, particularly uh, uh, Scotty and those, and uh, what, what are we going to see in terms of the new faces? Well, you know, obviously everybody knows Scotty Barnes. He's the highest-ranked basketball recruit Florida State that has ever signed, uh, or at least that we have signed since Coach Hamilton has been the, the head coach. And uh, he is a Florida State guy, got a great personality, high basketball IQ. Uh, Jim Rat likes to be in the gym working on his game. Uh, very unselfish, sees the floor uh, at a very, very elite level for a young player. Great ball handling skills. Uh, can play really all of all of any spot we need him to on the floor, from being the lead guard to being the he can be the pick and roll guy if he needs to be. He's that uh, uh, astute about the game. Can guard every position on the floor. He went. He will be. Uh, he could be a, a, a more aggressive version and. Uh, make more defensive plays than, uh, than Chris Singleton, who was ACC defensive player of the year two years in a row. I mean, he's that long. He's that big like Chris was. And uh, he's probably a little bit better guarding on the ball than Chris was. Chris was great in passing lanes and, and from the help side making plays. Uh, there's not really a weakness in any of Scotty's defensive games. So you're going to see him making a lot of plays that lead the offense for us from, our, from his defensive efforts. And uh, he's going to – He's going to be a, a guy that's going to carry a lot of mail for this team and uh, is going to have a, a significant role and that our fans uh, are going to really enjoy following his uh, spot on our team and his role he's going to have this year because uh, he may turn out being, of all the really good players we've had in 19 years, he may turn out being the one with the most upside and the most potential to, to be uh, even a, a great star beyond his time in college. So we're excited about Scotty, not trying to put too much – pressure on him but he's been just a joy to work with in practice and he comes to practice and goes hard every day every possession asks questions wants to know uh everything that's about what it's going to take to be successful as a florida state seminole basketball player and uh, and loves being in florida state and wants to and wanted to be in florida state because he wanted to play in his home home state because he's from florida uh and so this is a big deal to him and it's important to him 
Uh, the, the next probably most uh, highly rated recruit we had was uh, Sadar Calhoun, who was uh, in the top five or ten junior college talents in the country last year. Uh, will remind you a lot of uh, Tim Pickett and uh, the speed and the relentless drive he plays with on the court. He can really shoot the ball. Hasn't seen, seen a shot he doesn't like. Will take some bad shots, but he's like Tim Pickett, he's going to make some bad shots because he just has that unique uh, uh, ability like Tim had back in the day. I, I always said that about Tim. He was the best bad shot uh, maker I've ever coached in my career, and that's still a fact. And maybe Sadar will challenge him for that this year. But uh, really, really fast, really, really uh, quick off the floor. and has a great vertical uh, and can, can make some spectacular plays that will – will wow our fan base and, and will make some mo most needed plays. Got to get uh, caught up to speed on how to play ACC defense. But like a lot of new players, that's that's always a challenge. And he'll get there because he, he wants to be good. And he's wanted to be at Florida State. He was at with his high school team at the game at Virginia back when Dwayne Bacon was here. And Dwayne hit the buzzer beater for us to win in Charlottesville. And he made his high school team stay so he could meet Dwayne after the game. And he's always wanted us to recruit him. So he's another guy that's got a Florida State compassion and passion in his heart and wants to be here. So that, that helps make your locker room and makes your uh, enthusiasm within the group and chemistry uh, connect really quickly. And then we got two little short guys. And I know y'all are used to us not having any guys that are over uh, 78 inches tall. Uh, did I get that right? Is that, is that seven feet? No, 84 inches tall. I got to get my math right. <laughs> I was thinking like I played safety in football or something. I wouldn't be doing my math right there or something. Careful now, uh, careful. <laughs> but I know I see your picture on the Academic All-American. I was not that, trust me. Uh, but uh, and Quincy Ballard was a young uh, freshman, uh, kind of under the radar uh, from New York, but had uh, gone to a prep school down in North Carolina. Uh, can really run, really long, really a good rebounder. Uh, will uh, will make some – Rookie mistakes because he's uh, got a lot to grow into, but he's a guy that everybody's going to enjoy seeing his development in the program. And then uh, the other guy is kind of a, a newcomer. To, we signed him late. He's a transfer from a Canadian university. Uh, he's originally from Senegal, but he was going to college in Canada uh, named Tenoris Ingham. And he can uh, he's a seven-foot-one guy that can really shoot the basketball, kind of like Fiondu Calvangeli could shoot the ball from range. And he can block shots, and he's got you know a lot of basketball experience from playing for a really good coach up in Canada. And uh, we're excited to see how how he meshes into our program. Uh, he got got here late, and then uh, had some visa stuff, obviously through COVID and all that stuff, and then had some delays in his clearing his um, physical stuff. So he's really catching up in terms of learning and in terms of getting him back in basketball shape. But when he gets there, I think he's going to be a, a pleasant surprise to our roster this year. Well, we always teach Coach Ham about the seven-footers. You've got two that are there, and uh, with uh, Ballard, he's at 6'11". He'll probably grow another inch. We'll have three of them. So Ballard's seven feet, and then you got uh, Balsha Koprovica, who's, who's really, really looking like he's ready to make a jump. Uh, he's had a really good preseason so far, and then Tenor. So we, we, got, we got three of those guys that will be looking good if we ever walk through an airport again. Well, fuss, <laughs> fuss at Chuck because he's got, still got Quincy at 6'11". Well, that's not the first time I fussed at Chuck for for, uh, for having some inaccurate things in the game, though. Chuck's my man, though. We got a lot of history together. No question, no question. <laughs> hey, Stan, it is uh, it's a joy to talk basketball. It's been a long time, and uh, we're all really excited about what this season brings going to bring. I mean, we got ACC Operation Basketball a week from now. 
NBA draft two weeks from now, and then the season starts three weeks from now, give or take, on the exact opening day. But uh, best of luck this season, and thanks, as always, uh, for joining us and saying hello to your cousin, Keith. <laughs> well, I can't tell you this. Our game, if nothing happens with COVID, will be the Friday after Thanksgiving will be our opening night in the tuck. So uh, okay. that's what's scheduled to be right now. Good deal. Stan, uh, tell Coach Ham and the rest of the guys uh, hello, and we'll catch up soon. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Talk to you guys soon. Take All care. Right. We'll come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Great to catch up with Associate Head Coach Stan Jones. I failed to point out that he joined us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring our future together. Also joining us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline is our friend Patrick Burner from the Osceola. Hey, Pat, how are you? Guys, I'm uh, doing great. Thanks for having me again. Well, we, uh, we look forward to this conversation. We uh, did an extended segment on basketball, and there's a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of reason for optimism on the basketball court. And I maintain uh, – convinced that there's a lot of reason for optimism with what's going on in the football field, too. I know that right now it's sort of divided. Uh, people are more excited about the offense than the defense. But let, let's talk through all of that. And, and I want to start with the guys who never get it. And that's the big uglies up front on the offensive line. Uh, and I know there's, you know there's probably some truth to the fact that what Jordan Travis brings is, is helping the offensive line. But that sells short what Alex Atkins has done, in my opinion. So you recently had a chance to have an extended conversation with him. What what stands out about the work that he's done so far on that FSUOL? Well, you know, I don't think that any of us had uh, any expectations that Florida State would be able to run the ball as effectively as they've had. Uh, you know, I think they're 27th. Uh, in the nation and rushing in college football. I don't think anyone would believe that. And you're right, Jordan Travis has helped uh, spur the running game because you got to account for an extra uh, runner on defense. Uh, and, you know, so that helps uh, free up running backs and receivers and has totally changed the dynamics of Florida State's offense. But that being said, as we've gotten deeper into the season, the running backs are doing more – go back to the Louisville game, you know, Jordan Travis was the fourth leading rusher on the team. So you're doing it more conventionally, more traditionally uh, with the running backs, with your zones, with your RPOs, uh, you know, all the th out with your counters and powers. So you are starting to see the running backs carry the load, which so it's progressed one week to the next as far as running game getting better. And, uh, so, you know, and he's doing it with essentially the same personnel with the exception of Devontae Love Taylor, who transferred in as a graduate. And then, of course, uh, Robert Scott, a true freshman who's played a tremendous amount. So uh, he's doing it basically the same personnel. And I think that's, you know, to me, the fact that we're not – it's not all just – all this improvement, all these numbers are not coming against Jacksonville State. They're coming against ACC foes. So the, the improvement is real. In fact, if you factor out – if you just throw the FCS schools out of the, the uh, NCAA rankings, Florida State is 14th in the nation in rush offense. So it even gets more uh, – from a statistical standpoint, it gets more impressive when you factor out the Jacksonville State game. So the improvement is real, and it's uh, something that I, I think it's kind of surprised all of us. Uh, you've 
you know, we had a good feeling about Coach Atkins coming out of the three days we got to see him in the spring, but certainly he has just continued to build. And what he's done without the benefit of a spring practice, I, I, listen, I've said it before, uh, that, you know, not having that spring practice hurt this football team and it would hurt any first-year program. And if you go back and look at what first-year head coaches have done, they, for the most part, they're all struggling except for uh, Jeff Halfley at uh, Boston College. Pat, we talked in the first segment about it's kind of exciting that we're at the halfway point. We've worried about Florida State from an optic standpoint. We've looked at the one-loss ratio. We've said it's not about the opponents, it's about yourselves. But in this upcoming pit game, we do have a game within the game because you have a very good Florida State rushing attack that is going up against the number one rush defense in the country in pit, and we can kind of focus on that little mini battle uh, within the, the, the contest as well. Yeah, and listen, uh, and you know, just like uh, Florida State's improvement in the run game is real, Pitt's success against the run is real. Uh, I think we all would sit here and agree that Notre Dame has a uh, really good offensive line, and they average under three yards a carry against Pitt. Uh, so they're doing it against everybody. It's just not they're not picking and choosing, or it's not it's just consistency and their ability to shut down people. I mean, I think they were fifty for 115 uh Notre Dame was against Pitt uh and then Louisville was I believe 36 for uh 115 or something like that and 70 something of those yards came on one play so they are consistent so uh you know Florida State's going to find out a lot about uh its ability you know to continue to run the ball successfully and sustain this improvement or not have any fall off because it's certainly going to get tested by Pitt Pat, what can they do with the passing game? And they've done a nice job with it, but to help the running game. So I, I just, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Jordan Travis and what he can and can't do from the pocket. But obviously they've, they've had some well-timed, uh, well-schemed up calls. And Pitt lost, uh, you know, a player who opted out this week who was probably their best guy in the secondary. I know Dillingham has talked about, you know, getting some easier throws in there for Travis, not just some of the stuff that's schemed up, although candidly there have been some easy throws and the receivers haven't caught them on some third and short slants and whatnot. But what, what do you think the future of the passing game looks like to complement that running game? Well, I mean, against Pitt specifically, obviously they're going to have to be able to throw the ball. I think the key to this game is if everything goes the way you think it will and, you know, they it's strength against strength, right? FSU's got to be able to run the ball, get some good – Pitt defense, Pitt's going to be able to stop the run. So it's probably going to be who does what they do worse, best, right? All right, Pitt doesn't run the ball very well. FSU, you could argue, doesn't pass the ball very well. So who's more successful? Is FSU more successful passing the ball than Pitt is running the ball? I think that's going to be one of the keys of the game. But, yeah, so you listen, they got, the key to it really, the FSU passing game to me, is A – get him out, get him comfortable, get him, you know, some half rolls, half sprints, play action stuff. He, he really does seem very comfortable rolling out and finding people when he's got half field reads. Uh, he's accurate on the run. Uh, he will get better at the traditional passing game just with more reps. I mean, you know, he's, he's still a young quarterback, so that will happen. But find some success in the passing game early. But everything for FSU is going to be based off the run. So you're going to have to get the, the run going to allow him success and you know one of the things that happened at Louisville is they got behind right and this is this offense is not built to come from 
three scores down. Uh, so you got you got to make sure that you play complementary football. That just that you're able to you don't get so far behind that you have to go throw the ball. I think we threw it 41 times against Louisville, uh, and uh, 41 or 42 times. So uh, anyway, I, I don't think that's I don't think that's what you want to do in this offense right now for this football team. So uh, I think that you but you got to find some success early, and you got to make sure you don't get behind early, and that's going to help the success of the passing game. And everybody looks at Pitt and looks at their record now, but they started 3-0, and and one of the reasons they were 3-0 and was their quarterback, and he got hurt. Yeah. But he's scheduled maybe – we're four days out. Do you have any intel scheduled maybe to be available for the FSU game? What do you think? Well, uh, you know, he's back at the pra- – he's back on the practice field. Now, Narduzzi, uh, head coach Pat Narduzzi from Pitt, said Monday that, you know, he's able to throw the ball. He's limited – uh, in his mobility, but he is listed first on the depth chart. Obviously, they'd like to have him back because he really does change their offense, Keith. Uh, they completed 43% of their passes in games he has not started. They complete 60 when he's in the ball game. So, obviously, he's a difference maker for them. Throwing the ball is what they've done well this year. Uh, and it'll dictate what Florida State does on defense because if yelling the freshman's in the game, you can probably load the box up and say, hey, you're only completing 43% of your passes. You're going to have to beat us. If uh, Pickett's in the game, you're probably going to have to play a little bit more coverage. And Pitt hasn't ran the ball well anyway. So it, that, you know, who plays quarterbacks probably going to dictate a little bit about what Florida State does scheme wise. Well, of course, the defense has been the strength of the club this year, so therefore, oh, I can't even do it. <laughs> what What do you see happening on Florida State's defensive side of the ball? Well, you know what? You, you, you've, it's a great time for Florida State to get better on defense. You know, they're the, the best offense is minus Clemson. Uh, they've already faced on their schedule. Uh, so you do, you, you know, the, the way the schedule uh, – comes out I mean you've got a chance to get better against the people that you're playing the other uh, back half of the nation a total offense for the five that they finish off the season with but you know listen I think it all starts up front for the uh, Florida State on defense uh, you got to get more production you got to be more dominant uh, we all thought that was going to be the strength of not only the defense but the entire team and really what you're young in the secondary you're young at linebacker uh, you're experienced up front uh, that experience that potential uh, has to be seen in the second half of the season. I think you've got to have more production out of that front four, whoever's in the ball game. And quite frankly, they just haven't gotten it yet. And we saw flashes of what they could do uh, in the second half against Notre Dame and the first half against uh, North Carolina, but that, you know, where they played good complimentary football, even when they were giving up yards, uh, they made plays at key times. You know, in that North Carolina game in the first half, they had a sack where they it took them out of field goal range and they had to punt. They had fourth, uh, two fourth down stops that stopped scoring drives. They, they had an interception for a touchdown. So even though they were giving up big chunks of yardage, they gave up 550 yards, I believe, North Carolina. They were able to be more of a bend but don't break uh, defense. And, you know, then you go to Louisville – and, you know, you don't have the same production from the front. Uh, and, you know, you, d- you didn't play with the same – you know, you didn't make the big stop when you had to, even though you were giving up yards in the 20s. So, I think it all comes down uh, – just like any – you know, Keith, most games come down to offensive sure, and sure. defensive line play. And I think that's the key to Florida State getting better on defense in the second half is, is does that group play up to its potential? 
Pat on the Osceola this week. And uh, folks, subscribe if you don't already. You can find information online at theosceola.com. Uh, you had some details. These, you know, if you're not following it closely, these may seem minor, but you know, Leonard Warner moves from a linebacker to the Fox position. Uh, Josh Griffiths flips defensive end spots. Jaleel McRae moves from the will to the mic. I mean, are any of those going to be, I don't want to say impact, but will they make a difference? Well, yeah, I mean, you, you would hope. I mean, that's why they you know, obviously made the moves. And it sounded like uh, the instigator was they felt like they needed more production at Fox based on what Adam Fuller said today and uh, Mike Norvell as well. But they, they, that instigated the move. They, they needed somebody. They need more production at that position. Obviously, Leonard played on the edge of the defense the first part of last year, not at defensive end, but at outside linebacker. So, you know, there's some coverage responsibilities that the Fox has. And uh, so he's a little bit more adept at doing that than maybe uh, Josh Griffiths was. And then, of course, you know, Stephen Dix has played a lot at middle linebacker, particularly the last two games. And, you know, uh, I think that Jalil McRae brings a little speed to that position that maybe Warner did not have and can cover more ground. And listen, Jalil's a guy that flashed a lot last year and just has not had a a very productive season this year, but he's a guy that's got tremendous ability, uh, I think. And I think he's a guy that, you know, if, Maybe the light comes on at Mike, uh, and you you know you moving them away from Will, but uh, you know there's a lot of similarities b- between playing the two positions. So hopefully, uh, you know both those moves will pay off. And then of course you move Griffiths over to the strong side defensive end behind Joshua Kando and Derek McClendon. So uh, you know he won't have to play as many reps, and it's hard for a true freshman to. Play. I mean, especially up front, it's hard for a true freshman to play. As we. Uh, I'll throw this one out here because nobody ever talks about it, but the, the kickers have not been great this year, uh, you know, and so Florida State has tried both options there, and and, and I don't know who's going to kick this week, but do you think that this changes the way Norvell calls things offensively, i.e., and I don't know where the dividing line would be, but maybe you're more apt to go for it on fourth down and try a field goal? Yeah, I think the further away you get from the goal line, that's probably right. Uh, you know, I think that's uh, – you, you almost got to, right? I mean, and listen, he's talked about the fact that they need to convert more red zone opportunity, red zone opportunities. they got to get better at that. And uh, But, yeah, I think – listen, you, I think some of that's going to be dictated at, uh, where you are in the game, right? You, how bad do you need the points? Uh, you know, are you playing catch-up? Or, you know, are you are you ahead and three-point – it's worth the – it's worth the – playing the percentages to say, hey, we're going to make a 37 or 38-yard field goal. But, you know, we did not ask him about the field goal kickers this week, so I uh, really don't have any new information for you. But, yeah, certainly if you're struggling, you're going to be more apt to take a chance and go for it on fourth down. Well, I just wonder, you got the combination of the defense has given up a lot of yards and points. The kickers aren't making many. I mean, you, you factor that in along with the situation in the game, it seems like you might be more apt to just – we got to roll the dice. We got to get some points here, you know. But yeah, and I think I think that's a flow of game question too. All right, uh, you know, listen, uh, points are probably going to be at a premium this game, right? So you'll take them where you can get them. Uh, this doesn't seem this would not seem to be a high scoring affair given uh, Pitt's defense and our, uh, you know, and then FSU running the ball and probably trying to shorten the game to keep FSU's defense off the field. Uh, but Pitt hasn't been in a many shootouts per se. Uh, and, you know, but in a, in a shootout game where you know you're not, you know, in a, in a, 
in a game like North Carolina in the second half, you probably would go for it uh, because you weren't stopping North Carolina. So I think a lot of it's going to have to do with what's going on on the other side of the ball. Pat, we got more games coming up. Some conferences playing uh, their first contest of the year. That's that's got to be exciting. At least more opportunities to watch on television. Well, yeah, we get uh, after all the election coverage. I'm looking forward to some Mac in the night. I think they've got six games on television in the Mac, and uh, obviously you've got uh, the Pac-12 starting this weekend. And uh, it's certainly been an interesting year due to COVID, and I think it's only going to get more interesting as the the season goes on. But you know, listen, I am just thankful that we've got football to talk about. I wasn't sure if we'd ever really get here, uh, and you know, the numbers, and I, I'm not. I don't follow the numbers on a daily basis at COVID, just what people tell me. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that we get to finish off this season because uh, it's crucial for Florida State's program moving forward that they play as many games as they can, given the fact that they are a young football team and they are building for the future. Hey, Pat, we'll wrap up on this. We started by asking you about Alex Atkins, but I didn't give you a chance to uh, promote the podcast that you do with former FSU Offensive lineman Mark Salva, uh, tell us a little bit about that. I know uh, from what I, I, true confession, I've not had a chance to listen yet, but I, I know you were really pleased with the product last week. So, yeah, well, you know, we try to do a podcast every week, uh, one or two, and uh, you know, during the off week, we want to do something a little bit different. And obviously, Mark and I both having played offensive line in college kind of pay attention to it more so than most people, although I think a lot of people pay attention to it. But anyway, so uh, Mark had made an offhanded comment about I, I, if I was a college football coach, I would nominate Alex Atkins for the Broyles Award. And uh, I had made a comment on it in what, a column I write called Takeaway Tuesday, which I do 12 takeaways from Florida State and college football at large. And uh, so anyway, uh, we, we, we just asked – Derek Satterfield, the communications director for football. Listen, we'd like to get Coach Atkins on a podcast. Uh, you know, it's a very positive story. Mark and I both talk about it all the time. And so, anyway, we thought we were going to get 10 minutes, maybe 20 tops, and we ended up getting 45 with him. He was very forthcoming, very honest. You can see why kids want to play for him. You can see why he is good at motivating and instilling confidence in his kids. And we covered a lot of ground. I mean, we talked about – his background, uh, coaching, his influences. Uh, we talked a little bit about how he took over a group that really had been blasted over the last two years, all media-wise and social media-wise, and how he's instilled confidence in this group. And, you know, the fact that he is playing with true freshmen and how hard, that, how difficult it is for a true freshman to play. And, you know, we get into a little bit about his experience in Tallahassee. I mean, it was just a really – uh, we covered a, a large number of things and, uh, you know, had a little fun with him. And uh, it was just really – I thought it was our, out of the two football seasons we've been doing it, I thought it was our best podcast. And I'm usually uh, uh, pretty critical of <laughs> what we do. So, uh, I think that if you're a Florida State guy, a Florida State football fan, uh, and somebody that uh, likes offensive line play, you're really going to enjoy this podcast. Mr. Burnham, we appreciate it as always. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, guys, thank you, and I hope to visit with you again before the season's out, But uh, uh, and we'll see you on Saturday night. Sounds good. Hang in there one second. We'll go to break. I got a question for you, though, off air, Pat. Uh, okay. Joe Knowles after this.
Monroe Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Uh, thanks to Patrick Burnham for joining us. Want to uh, clarify, I don't know that we shared this detail, but to get to the podcast, the Seminole Sidelines podcast, he's talking just go to the Osceola.com. Uh, there's a series of links at the top. One of the drop-down menus will basically click on podcasts, and you'll find it right there. But uh, they do good work. So appreciate him uh, joining us. Keith, I didn't intentionally put this at the end of the show, but uh, that's where it's going to fall. Uh, again, I want to give you a, a fair chance to relive the glory days. Uh, <laughs> game in 1980. So we have saved the best for last. Um but, I, you know, that's before my time. We've talked about it before. But I know it's not before a lot of our listeners' times because I've been asked about it. A lot of people talk about it as one of the most memorable uh, games. One of maybe, you know, some would put it at the very short or at the very top of the list for Bobby Bowden. So, Dan Marino, Pitt, 1980, go. The biggest thing about that contest, Tommy, is we had played Miami and lost by one. We'd gone out to Nebraska and beaten them. Well, listeners today and younger people today, they know about Nebraska. They won some championships in the 80s. Florida State beat them in 93 for a national championship. But younger folk, middle-aged folk, don't appreciate Pittsburgh because after 80, 82, when Marino left, they hadn't done much. Well, prior to that, in 76, they won the national championship. That 80 team had 13 first-round draft picks on it that we beat. And because Pitt wasn't terribly good in the 80s and the 90s and on, the normal, the, the average Florida State fan can't appreciate how big that win was for the program. And it was huge for a couple of reasons. Number one, they were ranked number five, number three, whatever it was in the country. And we were coming off of back-to-back games against top five programs. Number two, they had Marino. Didn't know he was going to be a first ballot NFL Hall of Famer at the time, but you knew he was going to be pretty good. And another little known and, and lost fact is that Coach Bowden had a huge rivalry with Pittsburgh. Because during his six years as a head coach and four years as an assistant coach at West Virginia, Pitt was West Virginia's biggest rival. I mean, that was equivalent to Florida, Florida State or Florida State, Miami. So Coach Bowden wanted to be. And then the last part of it, and this just tickles me to death, uh, we just lost Jack Stanton, our defensive coordinator from that era, a couple of months ago. And one of the individuals that was his best friend growing up, I mean, they were best friends in, 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 in grammar school, was Andy Urbanic. And our listeners might remember uh, Coach Urbanic as being the football operations guy for several years, many years, for Coach Bowden. Well, Urbanic was on that pit staff. And Stanton and Urbanic remained close all the way up to Jack's death. Urbanic was the eulogy uh, Jack at his funeral. Well, Pitt played here, so they had to fly home. This is before cell phones. This is before the Internet. This is before anything. Jack stayed up till 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning and waited for Urbanic to get back to his house in Pittsburgh and started calling him. And he woke his wife up, and he called three or four times, and, and, and he hadn't gotten home yet. He finally got Urbanic on the phone at plus or minus 5 o'clock in the morning and spent the next hour – telling him how badly his defense was against uh, his defense, how good his defense played against that pit offense and how Urbanic should be embarrassed and ashamed of himself. <laughs> the, uh, the stories behind the scenes, that's good stuff. 
Well, I'm sorry I missed it. Uh, Why don't you tell our listeners that, uh, well, I'll tell them that Mr. Marino threw you a football in that game, and but why don't you share where that football resides right now? Well, uh, you, the, the football resides in my ego room, as my children and grandchildren call it, my spare bedroom, <clears throat> and it sit right, sits right next to my Emmy that I won in 2002. And I don't think I can get any money for the Emmy because nobody wants anything with my name on it. But I considered the pit ball to be uh, a supplemental retirement item if I ever have to auction it off somewhere. I can get, probably get a dollar or two for it, maybe. <laughs> All right, good stuff. Hey, you mentioned Bobby Bowden. As we close, uh, guess who has a birthday on Sunday? Number nine. 91 years of age, 91. Yep, so happy birthday to Coach Bowden. Uh, our gift to you is we will not sing, but uh, good Lord willing, we'll be back to do this show again next week. He's Keith, I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. We don't need no education. We don't need no thoughts control.